Hello, welcome to our 13th episode of the Making Sense of podcast. Uh, my name is Bob from Vanish for Change. In fact, we're all from Foundation for Change, that's the point. I'm um, joined here by Antonia, by Bex, by Heather and by Liz. You want to say hello? Hello. Hello. So we are today looking at a topic which is kind of very loosely um, based on solution-focused brief therapy. Um, I'll say more about that in a second, but also just, I guess, first to begin with, wanted to say a little bit about why we chose that. So the last three episodes of the podcast have been pretty kind of tough, important, but really tough topics. So I guess like we wanted to do something a little bit lighter just to kind of you know, give people a bit of a break. And there's a bit more than that as well, which I'll say in a second. Um, but yeah, so given the context of these three tough topics, I think, and wanting to do something a little bit lighter, solution-focused brief therapy was the, the first thing that came into my mind. Um, the main reason for choosing solution-focused brief therapy, and I guess the main aspect of, I'm going to call it SFBT now because it's too much of a mouthful, but the main aspect of SFBT, can't even say that, I wanted to draw people's attention to was its ability to highlight like individual strengths and resources that we're often unaware of. Um, so for people who don't know about solution-focused brief therapy, sometimes it's called solution-focused therapy. Um, I was trained in it quite a long time ago. Um, it's something that I think is not used particularly much in the drug and alcohol sector. Um, I'm not even sure how widely it's used elsewhere. It's, it's quite interesting as a, as a form of therapy because rather than focusing on problems, as the name suggests, it tries to get people to focus on solutions. It tries to get people to focus on what might be going well rather than what might be going wrong. And again, you'll kind of get a bit more of a sense of why I've chosen this in a second. Um, I guess the other reason I wanted to do something a bit more positive and the reason I wanted to do something that drew on solution-focused brief therapy was just given the context that we're in now. So I think all of us, seven months ago, didn't think that COVID would be going on seven months later. Um, I don't know if I'm alone in that. I think when I think back to that time, I mean, I remember when, when lockdown first happened, I thought like, oh yeah, maybe like four weeks. And then, you know, it was like a few more weeks and then it was summertime. And, I, you know, I don't think I started to think about an end date, but I just didn't think that we would still be going through it now. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So I think like now more than ever, I think that it's really important to be aware of um, what's gotten us through the last seven months and hope that it's gonna get us through the next seven or more. <laughs> I guess also winter's getting thrown into the mix, which really doesn't help me anyway. I think Bex is more than happy about that, but I'm not. Um, okay, so solution-focused grief therapy it sits quite loosely under the umbrella of a branch um, of psychology called positive psychology. I don't know if anyone's really come across that. Or no. That is a term. Liz, you're nodding, which you can't see on a podcast. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about it? Um, well, I'm going to say a little bit more about it in a while. So oh, mysterious. Yeah. Um, the founder of, of positive psychology, I'm not going to talk too long about this, but I wanted to just give a bit of, I don't know, like something to kind of hold this conversation. Um, and so the founder of positive psychology was this guy called Martin Seligman. Um, he's a psychologist previously known for his work on learned helplessness. And so learned helplessness, he did all these like studies on dogs, poor little dogs for some reason, where he was putting dogs into a box and some of the dogs were given a shock and weren't given any kind of options to try to find out a way of like stopping the shocks and getting out of the box. So they're given these shocks and they're basically just, you know, receive these shocks and just, you know, kind of accept the situation. Uh, and then there were other dogs who, I don't really, I should look into this, but I think there was some kind of lever or something in the box. And when they were shocked, they could press this lever and they realized that by pressing it, they could get out of the little box. And so what he realized was that actually the dogs, when they were placed into a new box, exactly the same, the dogs who hadn't had the little kind of lever option before, who had kind of learned to be helpless, essentially didn't even bother trying to escape the box. Whereas the ones who had been able to kind of you know, find a bit of solution to their predicament were much more able to, to leave the box. And it really, this idea kind of really connects to, so this idea of learned helplessness really connects to self-efficacy and self-efficacy is the belief that you are able to 
I guess very crudely do things in your life also very much connects to the core beliefs that we've been looking at in the last couple of podcasts around um, feeling powerless. Yeah. So if you have the sense of learned helplessness, very likely you're going to have this core belief of feeling powerless. Okay. Um, and I think that what, you know, what was interesting with, you know, Martin Seligman did what a lot of psychologists do. So studying something, finds a phenomenon, calls it something. And a lot of the time, a lot of psychologists kind of stop at that. And he did something which I think I'm, I'm kind of saying this very deliberately because I think it kind of illustrates a pattern to his work. And I think it illustrates a kind of personality trait of his, which is that he didn't just stop as, at the kind of discovery of this problem, but he also proposed that there was an antidote to this. So he calls this antidote learned optimism. And he believes that learned optimism is something that we can cultivate as human beings. So we, we don't just kind of feel helpless and stay in the sense of helplessness. He believes there's something called learned optimism. He's written books about it. And he says that this is something that we can, and we, we can learn about and we can essentially learn to cultivate in our lives. And so that I think is useful to point out because I think it's quite a strong theme in his work. Like he wanted very much to get people to recognize that there are two sides to every coin. So positive psychology came about because he was getting really frustrated. And I studied psychology at university and I kind of really relate to this. He grew frustrated at psychology's tendency to focus solely on what's negative and what's wrong in a person. So he was kind of just saying like, actually there's something that is missing from that. It's important. He's not saying that that isn't important, but he's saying there needs to be something which complements that or something that kind of recognizes the other side. Rather than focusing solely on what's wrong in a person, he wanted to make sure that there is also a focus on building what is right in a person. So like, you know, he kind of talks a lot about this idea of like not wanting people just to survive, but wanting people to flourish. And I guess kind of the last thing I would say about him is just that, you know, he's not the first person who ever thought this, you know, there was this kind of movement in the 60s, the humanistic psychologists, Maslow um, was one of those, but even before that, you know, two and a half thousand years before that, there was the Buddha, you know, there's Greek philosopher Aristotle who emphasized the importance of happiness and well-being. So this isn't a new concept, but I think like maybe in kind of 60s and 70s psychology, I think he was getting the sense that it was getting lost. Any Anything to say there about that? Pretty interesting because I've never actually in, encountered um, I think you called it learned optimism and this kind of branch of psychology um, is, yeah, it's quite fascinating because you're right. I think, you know, um, any sort of kind of therapy that or psychology that I've encountered, it like looks at the problem. Um, but I think what you're saying is actually there's this whole other side of psychology, which is like the positives. Um, that this kind of kind of centers on. So it's just it's just new to me. It's really interesting. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, I remember studying psychology and there was there's one um, branch of psychology called abnormal psychology where they're looking at schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and things like that. And I remember like even then as this kind of young student just thinking this is really weird, you know, like it's very, it feels wrong to be studying something called abnormal, like even the language just felt very wrong. So, so yeah, generally folk, uh, psychology tends to focus on, you know, the wrong or the kind of the damage. So, so yeah, so solution focused brief therapy kind of sits quite loosely under that umbrella. Um, and I guess, you know, SFBT kind of similar to what I was saying before is an approach that also helps people to find the other side of the coins, kind of try and find the positive, like even in the most difficult of circumstances. Um, and I guess solution focused brief therapy tries to encourage people to gain a different perspective to try to kind of see the glass as half full or at least like not as empty as they think it is or they feel it is. And, you know, I think, you know, there are critiques to this. There are critiques to positive psychology, like anything, you know, there's critiques. But I think one of the things that it tries to do is to try to foster the sense of optimism over pessimism. Um, and I was looking into this and it's interesting. I think there's there's been a lot of research done on the difference between optimism and pessimism and they kind of found a lot of um in their research they've, they've demonstrated that pessimists are people that give up more frequently so again connect that to core beliefs and the kinds of core beliefs that we've been talking about so pessimists tend to give up more frequently tend to feel less resilient frequently ill as a result of increased stress hormones negatively impacting their immunity and lowering it um 
Whereas optimism, you know, as you'd expect, is the opposite. So I just think like if there was ever a time to be a bit less pessimistic, I think we're in it. Yeah, just in terms of like thinking about stress and stress hormones and trying to kind of say as, like, I don't know, I guess strong as we can to cope with what is happening in the situation we're in. Um, does anyone want to say anything about Pollyanna? Pollyanna is in the film, Pollyanna. Yeah. Have you heard of like Pollyanna syndrome? Yeah, didn't she, isn't it a film where she has an accident and uses the use of her legs, but she has this whole bright outlook. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I actually haven't seen the film. I keep meaning to see it, um, to watch it. But the reason I'm saying that is because I think SFPT gets a lot of flat because they're just like, oh my God, it's so Pollyanna-ish. It's so kind of like looking at everything through rose-tinted glasses. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, you know, this girl in this film, apparently she has this game called the Glad Game, where like in any situation she's in, she tries to find like, something she's glad about. Um, so, so again- it's Really, really annoying. It's one of the most <laughs> irritating films. You, if you ever want to feel really negative, watch that film. It's magical. The, oh. actress, the actress is Hayley Mills and it's just, God, it's irritating. <laughs> it's the idea that at the end people are just like stop being so fucking positive to this yeah, girl yeah, yeah. It's okay. actually some sinister kind of um invention of very negative people who um you know felt that if they made this really positive film they they would um actually recruit more people to their side and they, have. <laughs> oh. they succeeded <laughs> it's also she's also a bit like annie i was in little orphan annie you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, um, all kind of, it's all very kind of musical. <laughs> musical theatre. So, so we're not going to be putting that on our kind of suggested <laughs> viewing. Um, yeah, yeah, again, kind of just so the reason I wanted to bring up little Pollyanna and this kind of Pollyanna syndrome is that I think one of the critiques of SFPT is that people are like, oh, you know, you're not allowed to like say anything negative or like, um, doesn't address the fact that actually people with depression are often in really shit, you know, circumstances, shit life syndrome, and also have like real problems that need to be addressed. Like it totally does account for that stuff. And so I think it's not fair when it gets that kind of critique, but you know, again, what it's really useful for is this process of, of trying to identify. So even if you're in the most difficult situation, trying to identify resources and strengths that often are brushed off or often seen as exceptions or often, you know, a lot of people just do incredible things, but brush it off as just like, well, I just had to do it or I just had to get through it. And the reality is that people don't realize that doing those things takes resources that people have that they quite often don't know about. So this is essentially techniques try to bring those resources to the surface. It's a bit catch twenty two, isn't it? Because if you're you're kind of quite uh, if you if your esteem is quite low and you kind of feel quite negative, actually you don't think you have resources. So you know that's it, the trick. The trickiness is to kind of uh, you know for people to be able to kind of see the behavior as resourceful which i guess is the whole point of it this is the point yeah um and i have to say i mean i think for me when i've used this the most is for people with really low self-esteem it's just a really really brilliant tool for that kind of a set of techniques for that um and i guess what they're trying to do is try to kind of get like when you start to bring these resources and strengths to the surface the idea is that like those will help maybe to address some of the difficulties or at least just to help kind of get through some of the tough stuff. I guess the question that we could start looking at initially is, is a question that gets you to think about the last seven months. Um, and I guess, the you know, well, the question is what has gotten you through the last seven months? And when I'm asking these questions, try to think more of the more intangible thing. So what aspects of yourself or kind of personality traits or characteristics or, you know, I mean, it can be also friends and people you have in your life, but try to think less about like, oh, you know, roof over my head and, you know, Tesco deliveries or whatever. Like try to think more about what things internally or people around you have helped you get through the last seven months? I would say that my 
predisposition of isolation helps a lot. Um, being able to be with myself, sit with myself, um, and not have that kind of need for company so much really, really helped helped me massively. Being able to, you know, appreciate what I've got and and not miss not miss so much that the um, kind of company, physical com company of friends, I um, which is obviously you know a double-edged sword because I can be too much isolating. So it's like, well, I mean, might be enjoying this too much. You know, the streets being empty, you know, not not going out at all. Uh, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, yeah, but I guess, you know, finding the positiveness in, in those things uh, and kind of appreciating it um, for what it is because you can't change it. Mm. I'll jump in there a bit because I think, you know, I, I just uh, want to pick on, up on something Heather just said. You can't change it. And I kind of, at the beginning of um, lockdown was, you know, one of the first things I kind of, looked at again was ACT therapy which is you know acceptance commitment right and but you know one of the things I like about it is it very much makes room for difficult emotions so to me it was very important that I was able to express fear that I was afraid that I you know um, found it difficult and and I, you know sort of control you know like so to let go of that you know um you know control like not being the you know it's not a solution it's the problem kind of thing so it's very much like okay here are, here we are in this situation it's okay to be really frightened and I allowed myself that and it was very kind of purposeful on my part and I found it helpful. What do you think might have stopped you from saying those things or voicing those things if you I think ACT like was the like oh my god that allowed me to do it but I'm just curious like what was it you think would have stopped you from voicing that stuff? Um, a feeling that I needed to um, be brave or thankful or something you know. Um, actually, it's okay to be vulnerable and to express that. Mm -hmm. And. Um, I mean, you know, we, we talked a bit about this podcast and, you know, as you pointed out, it's not, we could go into all the kind of, oh, yes, I was lucky because I had an Ocado delivery every week. I mean, I didn't, but, you know, you can go go into all that kind of, I am grateful because I had all these kind of, um, you know, material comforts or, 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 or kind of the, these kind of privileges of having a job and so on. But if we, and, and I think those kind of things can, can hide actual raw emotion and my initially my raw, raw emotion was actual fear I, this thing was frightening and um I didn't want to get too sucked up in um ah yes but you know look at this we've got you know this or I've got a roof over my head actually it was okay to really connect to that fear mm. and that's what I'm that's what I'm sort of that's what I did at the beginning certainly it's funny it's kind of it kind of comes in waves it's also kind of paradoxical isn't it because it's like I was listening to you talk and thinking so many people feel I mean we see this on our on our programs where there's such a negative attitude about anger and actually like the dangerous thing is not expressing it yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean you know yeah say control's not the you know it, it's the problem not the solution sort of thing so sitting there kind of going oh, I'm really not anxious um doesn't really help sure. Yeah. And what to do with that anger, you know, where to put it, you know, in a kind of positive way rather than kind of being self-destructive. I think as well, what, what, going off what Liz was saying, it is that thing of like, because I've come from a place of having quite severe kind of depression and, and being suicidal and all that, I was very kind of aware of where I can go mentally. Uh, and so it's that kind of thing of like, having to because you're not in control of it having to kind of like um kind of really dig deep with those emotions to to be able to lay like 
ground rules for the next, you know, however long it's going to be, mm. um, because of, you know, the the um, the things that I would normally use to help not being there, you know. So very much kind of back to my own resilience, or you know, finding those things that worked for me in the past to get me out of those mm. places. Well, it's it's interesting because you know you know Acts very much talks about um, values and 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 I I, I I know it kind of comes up later a bit, but I think it, there's some crossover in having to dig into what you call resilience or you know what I would what I would call values. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's kind of how you how you frame these 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 things, isn't it? But um, yeah, I feel like I, I need to say that later. Okay. Ignore me. What about other people? I'm just curious, what would you say has gotten you through the last seven months? So I suppose um, with me, it's kind of about how I manage my emotions or express them. Um, I feel like I can talk quite easily actually about you know, how I feel about the world, everything like that. But actually underneath it all, there's a kind of uh, numbness um, and inability to kind of um, be able to openly express things like um, sadness, maybe anxiety. Um, I, just, I just keep it kind of bottled up. And um, I suppose during the last seven months, I've kind of, um, started doing certain activities to help with that and you know I'm a keen walker so kind of like getting out um getting some physical exercise but mainly doing kind of uh you know sketches I kind of have these sort of kind of process kind of kind of uh, exercises where I process sort of emotions in a sort of creative way um, and that is drawing dreams without looking and, um, you know, drawing thoughts without looking at what, what you're drawing. Um, and I suppose, yeah, looking at that, um, it's helped me express feelings that I, 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 yeah, I just don't have a voice for. It's not that I don't feel comfortable talking about it. It's just that I, I really struggle to um, articulate it. Mm. specifically it can be a bit like a purge because you're kind of uh stuff which isn't you know bottled up or anything like that um there are really amazing ways that you can get that out which um you know aren't harmful to to you or anything like that it's um yeah it helps with i think things like mindfulness which is to me um having an awareness of what it is you're doing in that time so um you know i think i or i think many people go about their their day not really being completely aware of what it is they're doing and why they're doing it um so it's really helped me to focus um and have an awareness of of, of why i'm doing something do i feel hungry um if i'm feeling hungry am i am i just eating because you know, I'm trying to do something with my day. So that's really, um, yeah, it's that kind of management of, um, yeah, self-awareness, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking there's a German word called Kummerspeck. Is it yeah. Kummerspeck, Liz? Which is basically like their version of com comfort eating, but they call it grief bacon. Oh yeah. Is what? We love Germans on this podcast. Yeah, it's like, am I eating some hungry or am I eating some grieving? <laughs> grief bacon, grief bacon sandwich. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> grief bacon butty. Um, Antonia, do you want to say anything? Um, I think for me at the beginning, um, having anxiety before and working on that, it's all been about um, losing control, and that's what. Um, makes me anxious so I've done a lot of work around not being able to control stuff so at the beginning when I realized I couldn't control anything not even just like in my immediate surroundings but anything like I couldn't even control to, like, if I could go into the shops because I'd have to queue up 
I couldn't control, I couldn't go on the bus, I couldn't control that. So for me, I think I kind of gave up trying to control anything, but in a good way. Not in like I gave up and just went to bed for like seven months. I just did whatever I wanted to do. Like if I wanted an apple day, I napped. If I wanted to watch horror films all day, I let myself. I stopped trying to control anything and for a while it worked and then naturally I got into a kind of routine where I wanted to do like painting or cooking or baking and it nat naturally happened it's not like I had to put in a routine to keep myself busy mm. yeah I gave up all the control again this is really interesting because a lot of it's like about like giving permission to yourself giving permission to yourself to just be okay with being at home and giving permission to yourself to voice what isn't, you know, traditionally looked at as like negative emotions and they're not, just like emotions are not something that have some kind of moral, you know, component to it, whereas it's, it's a right or wrong, but something very much about like allowing yourself to, yeah, to sketch or to take a nap when you want to take a nap. It's quite, yeah, it's quite kind of a liberating thing when that happens. It kind of that dawns on you that, oh, I can just, you know, put the telly on in the afternoon and like sit on the sofa <laughs> you know, and allow myself to do that. And then it's like, why am I not? You know, why am I kind of like restricting myself when I should be, you know, as kind to myself as, as possible? Yeah. Give myself a break, you know, do whatever I fucking want. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it is about, I mean, again, we looked at this in Core Beliefs too, a little bit in terms of like how much of the messages from the outside we take in. So again, it's just like, you know, whether there's this kind of, you know, um, feeling of needing to be productive all the time and that therefore you can't nap and therefore you can't just like watch daytime TV or feeling like you need to be strong and can't show vulnerability. You know, so much of like these external messages control how we live our day-to-day -day lives and a lot of what we're talking about so far is just like thinking like fuck that i think that's actually been quite liberating kind of being in lockdown and like maybe having less social contact and being less um affected by i don't know advertising and things going on outside on the flip side it can be quite difficult to sit with yourself though mm. um and it can because there there is that yeah, there, there is everything that Heather was talking about, you were talking about just there, which which is liberating. Um, but on the other side of things, sometimes you can become isolated with your own thoughts and start kind of like, you know, the cogs start turning, uh, which ramps up the anxiety. Um, and so it's kind of hard to be um, sort of in the one space with yourself at all time, um, which I suppose is interesting looking at it through the lens of, SFBT and pulling out because it can be really easy to self-flagellate it, it can be really easy to say I'm not doing enough I'm not doing this but actually there are lots of things we're doing I suppose all the time which help us manage yeah and I think you know if you're sitting in front of an SFBT therapist I think they tried to get you to think of a time where that wasn't happening where you were able to just sit with yourself and kind of be okay with yourself and then they'd explore like what was going on at that particular time so it's, it's almost a bit like remembering that this isn't a constant, remembering that there, there are exceptions to this feeling of like, because I think people think in absolutes a lot of the time. So they just might think like, oh, I can't be with myself. I can never sit with myself. And kind of SFBT says like, there are always exceptions to what we think as an absolute. Yeah, definitely. So try to get you to think of like, well, when might there have been a time where you were, you know, you were okay just sitting with yourself. Definitely. Um, so, um, has anyone learned anything about themselves over the last seven months that they maybe didn't know about before? Uh, I quite like having a nice hoovered mopped floor. That's, that's a new thing. It's always good to know. Got into the cleaning, um, being kind of productive and like in control of my own space. And, and actually uh, <laughs> that kind of feeling of like waking up in the morning and coming down to like really clean, tidy place it's just really calming mm. finding things like that that I haven't so I'm kind of putting things in place that I've learned you know that 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 kind of make me feel better um and uh yeah so yeah 
things like that. <laughs> I liked what you said before about like over the last seven months. I mean, it is just, it's been such an extreme change in our daily kind of routines and behaviors. And just kind of taking stock, I guess, in a way, this is what this podcast is trying to aim to do. It's like taking stock and reflecting and thinking like, okay, what, what have I found out about myself? Or like, what can I, what can I put into place now for the next seven months? Kind of really like that idea of, of thinking about what's come up and just thinking about, okay, well, how can I just really lay this down to create the foundations for the next seven months? So it could be something, like you said, of, yeah, you really liked a really clean, calm, ordered flat. And there's something you want to maintain for the next seven months and beyond, possibly. I think as well, I'm going to talk again. Um, I, I thought like that during this time, I would have this space to be able to do stuff that I've kind of procrastinated about not doing. Um, and, you know, like DIY jobs that I've got, start, half started and all that. And I just thought, oh, at least I get them done. Uh, and and it turns out a lot of them haven't actually got done uh but but i'm kind of like okay so my my hall that i you know started painting a year ago hasn't actually been finished yet uh but other things have been put in place and i have been doing other things so i'm like you know now i've got a lovely kind of clean bleached bathroom ceiling and stuff like that so there has been stuff that I have been doing and noticing that I'm not beating myself up about the stuff that I haven't done um yeah. and just looking at you know what I have actually bloody done mm -hmm. I you know I I've discovered that I am a middle-aged walking lesbian who wears really uncool clothes and that is something I probably feared for most of my 20s and 30s I've become the very thing I feared <laughs> and I would um and I know it it might seem a little little trivial but I think there, there's something well, it's kind of trivial but there's something in there that um it it's it's been a nice pleasant surprise to kind of um embrace a part of me I just sort of didn't really know ex existed it's nothing very deep and meaningful but there I am tramping around wearing terrible boots um and looking at trees and so on and um when I was young people would sort of I really didn't see the point of going for a walk I thought it was the stupid I mean you know when you could sit in a pub or sit in a, in a room and take drugs I actually thought going for a walk was possibly the stupidest idea that anybody had ever ever suggested I'm like why would I want to fucking do that so you know it's quite a big shift might seem trivial to you all but for me it's quite a big kind of um you know it's an interesting interesting side of myself and I find myself kind of you know grazing or ga gazing grazing both gazing at kind of you know um, there's a very nice um, walking shop called Outdoors in King's Cross. And I got a very nice bag from there recently. And I, I find myself looking lovingly at kind of Dana boots and shit like that. So there you go. A whole, new, whole new world for me. A whole new frontier, Liz. Yes, I know. But th that idea, but that idea of like, you like surprising yourself is, is, you know, in essence, kind of, I think, um, probably quite common uh, quite a common experience for people but also you know a very sort of um in uh, an important one certainly in the context of what we're talking about today do you think i mean you might not but do you think there was an element of like taking a bit of a judgmental side of your mind out of the way when you're thinking about walking <laughs> the clothes yeah the clothes, the clothes um none of the team see me in my walking clothes i must add so it's not i haven't completely taken away the judgmental side of myself although I have I think I've been known to sport a pair of semi-hiking boots in the office um but um yeah 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 I mean uh, you know on in a big level I think what this kind of pandemic has done has shifted what people's values right what matters to them suddenly not I'm going to give it sound like it's it's really simple. I think it's more complicated and more difficult for people. But I think, you know, this is just part of people really recognising what's important to them. And that might not, you know, and being cool might not be as important as I thought it might have been when I was 23 and swanning around the Hacienda or whatever. You know, it's like, uh, you know, my values, of course, change as I grow old. And and, and the, the experience of the pandemic has just really, really clarified what matters to me. 
see a lot of nodding. Yeah, yeah. Like, Com- just absolutely agreeing with with all of that. Um, I think actually um, what I, how I've managed over the past seven months is exactly the same, finding out what's important to me, um, which is having an outlet for creativity, whatever it is. It's for, not for anybody, it's for me. It's, it, it's not kind of anything that I want to go and exhibit or do gallery. It's just something for me. Um, and like, I found that I've really gotten over this uh, fear of failure um, as well, because, you know, it feels like, well, fuck it, just, you know, get on with it. We've got all, we've got all this time. Um, so I've been trying lots of new things um, and kind of like, you know, I haven't drawn for ages. I haven't done painting for ages. Um, and so I've just been going, oh, sod it. Let's just, let's just see what we can do about it. Well, before, I think I was really always um, uh, never wanting to be visible. So I would just never show a part of myself because I just, it, I, I love to be like backstage or whatever it is, whatever the terminology is, but just not visible. Um, and I think I've really kind of turned a kind of sort of weird corner there because it's just like, yeah, what 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 do you have to lose? And I think that's quite finding out what's in, important to me. Yeah, I think this is so fascinating because so much of it is around like taking out those judgments, taking out that kind of critical mind. You know, the critical part of ourselves. So much of what everyone's talking about is around kind of self compassion and. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's a mortality thing or just kind of like recognize like, oh fuck, like all these things I may have taken for granted, like I need to really just take a step back and assess what's important and what I stand for. And yeah, I think it's really interesting. Also, I think, you know, I um, I think about, I've been thinking about values a lot, um, partly prior to this podcast, but just generally over the last over the last seven months, I've it, you know my values have always kind of been there. I think. I mean, even from very young, I kind of felt very clear about what what I believed in. But it but over the last seven months, I I think I've become more um, accepting of my values. Actually, for me to know, uh, you know, when I was young, I was a bit like <laughs> shove them down your throat. You know, I used to kind of be really angry if I kind of encountered stuff that 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 didn't um, correspond with my values or whatever. You know, it's a kind of polite way of saying um, I, I felt like a real war about this, this, these kind of values in the world. And one of the things that's kind of been interesting about the pandemic is something Antonia picked upon earlier. It's this idea that all this really awful shit's happening in the world, in America, how people are responding to the pandemic in the UK with the government. And we we really have little control over that. I mean, beyond the kind of ballot box, there's not a great deal we can do. So it feels like getting angry about stuff you can't control on that level. Um, even if it doesn't correspond with your values is completely um, self, you know, uh, you know, self-harming you know I don't know where that leads so I don't know it's just something about recognizing that I know what my values are and I can kind of hold those a bit more comfortably because mm-hmm. I've had a bit of space to think about it over the last seven months but that, yeah but that absolutely it's not but I mean that absolutely relates to what we were saying about learning something about yourself you maybe you hadn't realized before I think that's a really big thing I guess the kind of second part of that question or slightly different version of asking a similar thing is just like what has there been anything over the last seven months that has reminded you of aspects of yourself that you'd maybe kind of forgotten about? Uh, yes. Um, it made me laugh when you mentioned Pollyanna before, Bob, because that was your nickname for me. And funny enough, it's yeah. my mum's nickname for me as well, um, was, let's just say that. And um, yeah, I suppose before I went into recovery, um, I used to be a really angry person, but um you know, I could, I, could, I could express anger quite well, like um, anger and frustration and just like being, you know, uh, not happy with the world. Um, and I, I, you know, randomly, I just sort of lost myself um, going into recovery. And, uh, you know, uh, I think everything was just fine all the time because I felt fine, so everything was okay. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, pushing down any sort of real emotion whatsoever because I felt completely lost in myself. I, I really didn't know 
who I was in particular anymore. Um, but funny enough, the, the last seven months, oh my God, um, I feel like, I don't want to say my old self, but um, maybe I am, I think one of my values is to be quite connected to what's going on in the world. Well, maybe I took a little break from that for a little while, um, which has kind of stirred up, um, you know, all the sort of feelings that I, I have, which, are, you know, the massive injustice in the world and everything like that, um, which is just, yeah, brought on emotions, which I could easily push down again. So I feel kind of a little bit more connected now to who I was before I went into recovery. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Have you been reminded of traits of yourself or qualities that you have that, because it's so easy to forget about this stuff because we can just kind of like trundle through life just trying to kind of like get from A to B. Antonia? Um, I think I discovered I really like being lazy. Mm -hmm. So like when you go into recovery to begin with, everyone is kind of like, you need to be doing this and this and working on yourself and improving be really busy, interact, make connections, build this whole like identity around your new personality that you've got now that you don't take drugs or drink and stuff. You need to be constantly doing work on yourself. So when we were in lockdown and you lose all of that, I quite enjoyed it. I quite like being lazy and just waking up, you know, no makeup, sweats on, no bra, chilling out nice mm -hmm. and yeah I enjoy it and now I've actually booked time if someone says are you busy on Sunday and I'll say yes that is a specific time to do nothing because <laughs> I enjoy doing it yeah I'm busy taking a nap yeah it's important and was that something that you used to be like that you'd kind of recovered almost kind of distracted you from that because of, of its focus on doing I think when so so when I was drinking it's like you're doing nothing then and there's shame poured on that because you're um in a horrible painful place and you're not doing anything and you haven't made any progress because you're you know using drink or whatever it's like as though that's a really bad thing so now that you don't do it anymore you have this pressure all the time to kind of be doing 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 stuff working on yourself getting out there and I think you forget that doing nothing, you know, when you're in a good place is, is nice and you should be allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. Lockdown forced that on me. And I was like, actually, I quite like this. I like spending time at home. I don't have to be on the go all the time. Like, that's not my identity. My identity is myself and what I like, not the things that I, you know, go out and do every day. I think a lot of people have really discovered aspects of themselves because of not mixing so much with other people. I think, I don't know about other people, but like I know that I was someone before who was very influenced, I think I still am, like influenced by other people and attitudes and kind of, um, I don't know, ambition or whatever. And I just think there's just something quite nice just about, like I always described it as being like orbiting a planet and I was somebody who would always get like pulled out of my own orbit and kind of start orbiting someone else. And I just think like there's been something quite nice about not having any other kind of gravitational pull and just spending time by myself and yeah, just kind of remembering about what I stand for and what I want to be and what I want to do. When um, Antonio was speaking, I was thinking, I was, what it reminded me of, and I couldn't quite remember the name, but I've not got it now. Um, there's a book written by um, the guy who was actually um, Karl Marx's son-in-law, but it's, uh, I've always loved the title, it's The Right to Be Lazy. And um, actually, you know, it's kind of interesting because it, 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 it's a kind of critique of capitalism and it's kind of critiquing this idea that you've got to be productive all the time and, you know, productive for what? And I think quite a lot of that has been going on with people. During, during the last seven months. So yeah. that gives me optimism. I quite like that. I've always loved that, the right to be lazy. Yeah. I need that book. <laughs> it's only a pamphlet. It's quite short. It's quite, it's quite easily readable. So there you go, Google. We can order copies for the office. Yeah, and then sit around not do anything with them. <laughs> <laughs> so just 
when we um on the handout i'm going to put down there's a few there's a load of questions actually we haven't gone through today but i think so i'll put those on the handout there's one more that i want to just talk about just to end and the question is what in your life are you taking joy in no matter how small what are the things that you've maybe discovered or that you just know that you liked, but you're just allowing yourself to like more and more now, no matter how small? Obviously with Heather, it's cleaning products and that. Non-eco cleaning products, bleach, bleach. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yes, Heather, love it. <laughs> just get the bleach out, definitely. Yeah. No, mine would be um, from sitting on my balcony, my bloody plants, like actually investing the time uh, in them uh, to, to, to be able to like be surrounded by these kind of like, you know, these flowers and these things that I like. I always I wanted the idea of having like lots of greenery on my balcony and flowers and kind of like didn't really do anything about it just kind of wanted it to happen, but it never actually happened. And then it was like, well, actually, I need to do, you know, do something about this, being able to like afford to buy the odd plant, start growing things from seeds and kind of like nurturing, spending time nurturing it. And to the extent that I kind of like was surrounded by like flowers and color and bumblebees and being able to sit and just watch that and listen to the birds because there weren't any traffic and just be really, you know, watch, yeah, kind of like investing in something and, and having and reaping the rewards from that and realizing that I could do that in other things as well, you know, like planning for the future to make something that I want and actually, actually, actually having to put an, an action in to make that happen. Mm. Lovely. The listeners won't have, have um, you know, the, the, ability to sort of see Heather's balcony but it's it's gorgeous it could have been Morocco or somewhere you know during the summer or when we'd have kind of zoom meetings and Heather's balcony was just like a little oasis it's gorgeous mm. envious thank you um I, I'm speaking so long ago um do you know what I kind of um apart from my love of really horrible walking clothes um I've discovered music I have a very kind of a very sort of not complicated but it's a bit of an odd relationship with music it's like when I was a teenager music was the absolute thing that saved my life um and then I kind of fall out of love and kind of with it a bit and I get really bored with listening to stuff and during lockdown I finally bought myself a little bluetooth speaker and got on Spotify <laughs> and I've, you know <laughs> 10 years after everybody else but um I'm really really enjoying music I uh, listen to music as I work and I am enjoying music in a completely different way. It's partly because on Spotify, um, I can just think, oh, I wonder what that sounds like. And it takes me on a, a bit of a journey, but that's that's been a real pleasure for me. And it's unexpected. And also reading, I've, I've read quite a lot um, during lockdown. That's been a real pleasure as well. Oh, for me, I have to describe my favourite, my Saturday and my Sunday, and it's just one day, and what I do is I get up and I go for a really long walk, like a three-hour hike, or I, I walk into London, and then I catch the train back out from London again, because uh, I live in Wandsworth, um, which is, you know, a fair, fair journey into London, um, and I don't listen to music, I just walk along the river, um, and then when I get home, I draw something from memory, that I have seen um, along a, a, a my walk. And then I will, I never used to watch TV. I've actually never really owned a TV in, until recently. And uh, then I watched some really shit Hollywood film. Um, so I'm kind of like catching up on my pop culture. So that is my, my, my little bit of joy in the week. What was the last film you watched? Give us some trash. It actually wasn't that trashy. It was Pollyanna. She yeah, she watches that every weekend. Every week, loves it. <laughs> yeah, I can't know what was the last really trashy film I watched. Oh no, yeah, that, that, that suggests it was really trashy, doesn't it? So, <laughs> really, really, some chick lit kind of film. <laughs> Antonia, that's talking about trash. I was gonna say, oh, what's got me through is. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but I'm not going to say that because that's awful. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, don't say that, Antonio. <laughs> you know, I love trash TV, but it's just something that's got me through. I think what um what I really enjoyed is um there's no garden centres in Peckham, so I couldn't get any seeds or anything at the beginning of lockdown. But I managed to get some tiny little plants from someone that they were like aubergine plants. They were really tiny and I planted them in my little um, Peckham garden, which isn't a garden. It's like a square of soil. And I nurtured these plants all lockdown as well as my sunflowers. And then I managed to grow like five aubergines. Oh my gosh. made into a curry and stuff and I can't believe I grew like vegetables in Peckham I was really proud of myself but yeah I'd forgotten how much I do like gardening and growing plants and stuff great your babies yeah my plants are my babies <laughs> <laughs> what about you Bob uh I think that I have so I've got two puppies, although me and my partner have got two puppies, although they're not really puppies. They're, I was trying to work out how old they are. They're almost going to be 18 months, so I guess they're dogs. Um, I just really just adore them so, so, so much. And I think it's just been one of the best things about lockdown is getting to spend so much time with them um, and my partner, I should say, <laughs> if he's listening. Um, but I think, um, yeah, just like lying down with them because they are so affectionate and they're so warm and they're so squishy they're two basset hounds and I've just really loved taking naps and little lie downs with them and just yeah they're just really really um adorable and affectionate so that's a really big thing um and I think the other thing is like I really love cooking and I um where I used to live before lockdown was my my flatmate was kind of quite a hardcore vegetarian so I couldn't cook any meat products or like animal products in the house and then I moved in with my partner and so I've really just loved cooking loads because I've just got free reign over like using kind of weird Asian like shrimp pastes and kimchi and really smelly things that I wouldn't ordinarily be allowed to, to kind of use. So, um, so yeah, cooking, I think, has been a really massive thing and just kind of taking real joy in, I think, a really big thing of that as well. It's like so much of my day is on the screen from work and sometimes kind of like leisure stuff. So just having time to be in the kitchen and putting music on and being creative with food and just kind of being very like sensory and not thinking about stuff has been something I love. So gorgeous. Yeah. Alrighty. So um, yeah, thanks everyone for sharing what you've shared. Um, we'll put some of these questions in the handout and um, people joining the seminars can think about the questions beforehand and can have an opportunity to talk about these things with others. Thank you. Thanks guys. We'll see you all next time.